Welcome to the second half of the first season of the Say No, K-N-O-W.org podcast. This is the place where we have been discussing everything drug-related from policy, crime, research. We talk about what's going on on the streets. We talk about what's going on in the universities and the research areas. And uh, we talk to people with lived experience and we discuss ideas on how we can make things just a bit better. We receive funding for this podcast from the Canadian Research Initiative of Substance Misuse. You can check out the great work that they are doing at prismprairies.ca. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in our podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Chrism or any of their members, and the views also do not necessarily represent the views of my employer or any organization that I'm associated with, and the same goes for our guests. A big shout out to DJ Charlie Hustle. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for providing the excellent music that you've been hearing both on the intro and outro of our podcasts. Everybody that's listening right now, please hit the subscribe button. It helps. Also go to our Facebook page, engage with us there. If you've got questions, comments, uh, concerns, you've got new ideas, anything, head, to the, head, head on to social media, send us a tweet, um, challenge us. Uh, we're all in this together. We're all trying to make this world just a little bit better. We're trying to find some solutions at work. So I hope you enjoy the second half of this season. I sure enjoyed making it. Thanks for checking out this episode. Today on the show, we have Joe Bellavo. Joe Bellavo is from the Alberta Addicts who educate and advocate responsibly, also known as AWARE. Uh, you can check their website out at AWARE. That's A-A-W-E-A-R.org. Joe, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. So, Joe, yeah. uh, can you tell us tell us a little bit um, a little bit about what Aware is, and then and then maybe we can kind of get into into a bit of your story. Okay, um, Aware is a new society that was formed a couple of years ago. Um, we're called Alberta Addicts who educate and advocate responsibly. Um, we are uh, we are a society uh, which is above uh, grateful or dead uh, because uh, we needed a society because people wanted to donate socks and underwear and toothbrushes and toothpaste and just clothing or uh, food like granola bars and drinks and stuff like that yeah. or run events and have a tax deduction and Grateful or Dead didn't have uh, a tax deduction for them because we weren't a society. So, oh, I see. That's why Aware was formed. So, Grateful or Dead was just kind of a group of a group of people who got together and decided they wanted to help their community, and then and then yeah, yeah. Aware Whether was... you use or not, it's it, well, actually, it's a users group. It's helping users okay to basically control their lives. Interesting. Better. Yeah. Yeah. And we wouldn't, you know, we don't judge, right? So, um, you know, we just wanted them to be, you know, active yeah. in the community and in life in general, right? With their lives in general, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, just be safe out there. And so you guys started in Calgary about how long ago? Oh, man. Uh, Gratefully Dead was like well over a decade now. Oh, wow. A lot of people know us on the streets. Right. We... Uh, we carry bags uh, with um, 
like socks, underwear, like I said, with them that were donated to us or toothpaste, toothbrushes. We have uh, inhalation kits, which uh, we call inhalation kits because we're not supposed to call them crack pipes. Okay. Is it just <laughs> because too, uh, we you can smoke more yeah. than crack out of them or what? <laughs> yeah, no, it's just uh, Alberta, Alberta Works, or not Alberta Works, um, what is it now? Street Works? No? Street Works. It, it was SafeWorks that uh, helped us form the group. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Alberta Health also uh, is part of that SafeWorks group. Oh, I see. Right? They formed in there, and yeah. uh, we're, we come out of Alberta Health. So we're not, we were, have a little office there, so we're not allowed to store that kind of stuff in uh, the hospital oh, at Sheldon Schumann. Yeah. So yeah, we keep it at a uh, at Alpha House, which is a basically an, a drop-in place for people that are walking or, or wandering the streets that are high or stoned or drunk or whatever, and or under the influence, and they need a place to sleep. So anybody can just and walk in there. Yeah, you have to wait in line and stuff, and uh, yeah, they they uh, they get a mat there for you, and they give you some coffee and some food. Uh, sandwiches soup whatever they have to to feed you oh okay yeah and a lot of people they're when they do drugs or alcohol they their mind isn't set so right you know they and they haven't slept for a day or two and they need to relax right yeah wow. yeah so uh, cool initiative. <laughs> yeah people go there and they go other places too you know like salvation army or yeah drop uh drop-in center too in calgary you know what other I- people it's, yeah. It seems like the more these, uh, these I, I like seeing these little community groups um, emerge and step up, and it's it's kind of nice to see you know different members of the community stepping in and trying to create these little solutions and these little pockets instead of always relying on you know the hospitals or the police or the paramedics. You know, it's nice to kind of see some innovation coming out of out of the community. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people here in Calgary that do uh, help others, and there's a lot of places that people uh, don't know about that are on the street that don't know where to go for right, help. Right. You know, and they couch surf or they, you know, they, they're they transient. They just walk into Calgary or drive in with friends and stuff like that and try and get a job and, you know, stuff like that. And then they get involved in drugs and stuff. And, you know, they try and get like a welfare check or from Alberta works and you have to live in Alberta for over a year before you get that kind of help. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, so they end up going back home to where they came from or they actually have to find a job to work and and a place to live. Right. But there's like, like I said, there's Salvation Army drop-in center. There's women's shelters here in Calgary, you know, that, that help, you know, men and women. Unfortunately, there's not many women's shelters as there is for men, but, Oh really? We're, we're, they're we're, working on that, yeah. We have the opposite problem here in our community. There's there's a lot of shelters for women, but not as many for men. Yeah. Well, apparently there's uh, it's the opposite way here. Yeah. We, we need more for women than than men, right? But uh, so, Joe, what what would be your average as a peer outreach worker? Like, what would your average shift look like? Like, what do you, what exactly are you doing? Uh, well, we uh, fill our knapsacks up from our office down at Sheldon Schumar, you know, with uh, socks and underwear and tampons and uh, toothbrush, toothpaste, uh, bottles of water, um, uh, condoms, uh, clean syringes, 
whether they're ones or threes or halves or browns, right? What are, the, what are those? Sorry, uh, Joe. Those are the sizes of the of the uh, needles. Oh, okay. Like a half inch, one inch that oh. people know, and and because we've been on the streets for you know well over a decade, a lot of people know us that we carry that. Yeah. And so do the uh, law enforcement. Oh, okay. You know because they're clean and uh, people live on the street. They don't they don't want to keep using the same needles and catching diseases or other diseases. And yeah. you know they come up and ask for them. And we're discreet. We don't you know. I don't walk down the street and say, hey, buddy, do you need some clean needles or something or clean <laughs> right. rigs or anything like that? You right. know, they usually come up to us, right? you know, and because uh, they know us, right? Yeah. And I've been doing it for a couple of years myself on the street, uh, almost three years oh, wow. helping people. Yeah. Yeah. So we bump into all kinds of people, whether it doesn't matter their uh, ethnicity or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, age, Yeah. you know, yeah. and... Uh, yeah, the police have been very good over the last few years because they're acknowledging what we've been doing for, for years. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you're not getting jacked and, uh, up by the cops while you're out there trying to help people? No, because our knapsacks say peer outreach on the back. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we have our picture ID from uh, Alberta Health Services as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, which so- I can, you know. So is Alberta email it to you or something? Yeah, sure. So Alberta, so Alberta Health Services are are they funding this initiative one hundred percent, or is it sort of a private public partnership? Do you know, or where does it's the money a, come from? <laughs> it's a private uh, partnership. We're we're like uh, volunteers. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, the money comes from we. Uh, that's why we formed Aware, and we have uh, a board and and. Uh, People donate that money to us, and we use that money for food expenses. You know, um, we uh, like water, yeah, and granola bars, and yeah, yeah, and uh, we do certain events. You know, uh, we have a meeting a couple times a month. You know, and we have uh, people that just come off the street to hear what we have to say. And what we're doing to help people on the street, and not only on the street, just people that need our help, whether they live at home, yeah, that we don't know about. Because a lot of people use drugs and alcohol, and they stay at home, whether yeah. they're younger kids or, you know, just parents or whatever, you know, because I, I used to do that. I used to have a home, and I still have a home, right? But I don't use anymore. It's been a while. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people would live, uh, like I would, because I would live to pay my rent and stuff like that and then use my money to buy like my drugs and everything. And I ran out of food. I'd go to like, you know, a food bank or something to get food. Right. right. Or to go to one of these places that help or feed people like alpha house and salvation army and stuff like that. Right. Okay. And then eventually I just lost my home because you know, I couldn't pay the rent anymore and I ended up on the street. Right. Boy. Well, how, how important, how important do you think are are these, these groups? um, I know, um, I mean, before meeting you, that was the first I'd ever heard of Aware. Um, but I know there's like Kaput, like that Canadian uh, association of people who use drugs. I think they started in Vancouver, and they've they've kind of got a little bit of a national presence now. Um, I know Brandy, she's from Saskatoon here, and and she's part of that organization. Going to be on the podcast later this year. But how important do you think are these are these groups that are kind of peer led or or organized by people who have that? lived experience 
you think do you think that's a necessary uh part of the puzzle here joel or what oh for sure um you know because people uh fall off the wagon mm-hmm. once in a while they don't a lot of people don't do drugs every day like they used to when they were younger or just on weekends or whatever yeah and they learn to to survive by their knowledge of using drugs you know because when you use drugs in your brain it's mind altering oh definitely right yeah. and same with booze it doesn't matter right yeah so yeah especially if uh, your endorphins drugs. are your happy cells right there's four happy cells basically okay and uh if you lose your happy cells you can't have fun on drugs anymore <laughs> and and that's the point where i've gotten like one little hit of coke or one little hit i don't do pot but cocaine was my main vice okay you know, and I did crack and crystal meth and stuff. But once you uh, take a little hit of that and you're not enjoying yourself anymore, it's time to quit because uh, there's no sense. Right. You, you know, you start hallucinating, you start shaking, you, you hear things, you see things. Right. And, um, you know, there's no more fun because in the early days, like I didn't start drugs till I was basically 37 and I'm 55 now. So. Oh, wow. You know, that old cliche, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, right? Yeah, that was your that's life or the, what? That's the party scene, right? Yeah. So when you're doing the drugs, the sex comes involved, right? And it enhances, you know, your drives, you know, your inhibitions, yeah. right? You lose yeah. your inhibitions. And, uh, yeah, you, uh, so you got into more it. open to... So you got uh, into it kind of through the party scene then? Yeah, I went through the party scene, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it can be a little wild sometimes and you can't, you don't know if you can trust people and stuff like that. So, you know, I had to, I went through the party scene and, you know, finding out that, you know, I, a friend of mine that I knew didn't tell me that he was HIV positive, you know, and here I am at 44, fine. I'm like, this was 11 years ago that he had given me HIV, Oh no. you know, and, uh, having to deal with that. And a friend of mine gave me hep C through needles you know, so dealing with those things, yeah. you know, and being safe for like basically 44 years of my life and all of a sudden have to deal with these two things, you know, really hit home. Yeah, no doubt. Well, can we go, yeah. can we go back a bit, Joe? Do you, like, do you mind, sure. do you mind sharing a bit of, a bit of your personal story with us? Like how, you know, how, how the progression occurred or, or what was going on in your life at the time and kind of where you, where you came from to, to the gentleman I'm talking to right now? Well, I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Okay. And uh, I left Winnipeg. I was 25, and I always worked. Uh, I started working when I was like eight years old, delivering flyers and stuff. But I never really partied uh, at all. I was a bartender at 18 and stuff. And sure, I went out and had some drinks and did that. But I didn't do any drugs. Uh, I tried pot once, and I think it was oil once. I was like 18 or 17. Okay. You know, um, I think uh, cocaine, I was 25, I tried it once, but then that was about it. I basically just drank, like, beer or vodka. So I didn't really hit the party scene. So you're a little bit bit outside of the, uh, I guess, of the norm, because, I mean, a lot of the research shows that, you know, addiction begins, you know, in those developmental years of, like, 15 to 24, where the vast majority, and you're a little bit outside that window, eh? 
Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I worked, I, I ran a gas station at 15 or I got a job there. And then by the time I was 16, I was running the gas station still in high school. And uh, nice. 18, I was a bartender and I had two jobs while I was in high school. Yeah. You know, my dad drank a lot and he worked a lot. Okay. You know, my mom worked a lot and, you know, there were six of us. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> you know, back in the uh, 70s and 80s, uh, you know, they did a lot of work and a lot, things were a lot more expensive back then. Is that right, eh? You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, dad drank all the time on weekends, not during the week, but, you know, it just got violent with mom and stuff, oh. big fight, and I didn't like to see that, so. So you'd get out of You know, house. I said one. So yeah, when I grew up, I, w- I didn't want to be around that stuff. So do your dad, so, your dad have some, some addictions issues with alcohol then? Uh. Well, back then we didn't know it was addiction issues. You know, we just knew it was abusive issues and stuff like that when he was drinking, you know, but, uh, no, he's, he's, he's great. You know, uh, I love my dad. I told him that I forgave him, you know, uh, one in my thirties, I guess when I went and saw him. So, you know, and he's, he's been great ever since, you know, mom and dad split when I was like, uh, 15. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was like way back in 1979. Oh, okay. You know, so, and they're still both alive. You know, they still both uh, talk to one another. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so life a little, does go on. So a little bit of a colorful childhood growing up, I guess, but nothing too oh, severe. Yeah. No, no, nothing too severe, you know. So uh, we just, uh, I, I moved away, I was 25. I moved to BC for three years. I was in the dive ball. Okay. Yeah, and then worked there and traveled, uh, moved, got transferred to Nelson, and then came to Calgary in 91 and started real estate in 91. Oh, okay. By the time, uh, yeah. So you were selling houses? Yeah, I was selling uh, new homes. Okay. Yeah. Hang on a sec. <laughs> I got you a cold. Oh, yeah, no problem. <sighs> Sorry, I just had to blow. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. You do. My you nose, do. that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, guess, I guess you could never be sure with uh with my podcast because we have a lot of people that are still still using drugs. So you do whatever you need to do, man. There's no judgment here. No, I got a cold last week and it's still hanging on. And it's just yeah, I have uh, sleep apnea as well, so it's hard to to breathe. It's so dry in Calgary now. All that snow we had a couple of weeks ago disappeared. Oh yeah. Yeah, so it's like it's been like fifteen, sixteen degrees every day for the last week and a half. Nice. Yeah. yeah but anyways, was... uh, go ahead. No, go ahead, man. Continue on. Yeah, so uh, I started real estate in '91 uh, and started selling new homes. Okay. And then yeah, I did it till uh, early 2000s. But uh, around 2000 is when I started to use parties or use drugs and start to experiment. So were you, make, were, you make, and, were you making some decent cash selling houses? I was making cash for everybody else. Oh, I see. To be honest. Yeah. 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 I really, uh, it was a good learning experience. Um, you know, I, uh, I found out that it is the most expensive thing you'll ever buy in your lifetime is your house. Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, learning, uh, how to build a house or a townhome or a condominium and stuff like that and what goes into it and, you know, what uh, people don't know 
uh, goes into it and what they need to look for when they buy a house. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how not only gullible I was, but how gullible a lot of people are. Oh, for sure. Not doing their due on, diligence. On purchasing stuff, yeah. especially a house. And, uh, you know, because they don't know how to do a home inspection on the house and what it costs and electricity. And when they say, uh, you know, you need a new roof, it's actually new shingles, unless you actually tear the shingles out and then take out the roof itself and put a brand new roof in and then put the shingles back on. Yeah. Right. So you got to be specific on what needs to be replaced. Yeah. You know, and then cleaning the vents and stuff like that and finding out people you know, cook different things in houses, you know, yeah, yeah. and what people are looking for, you know, because a lot of people wouldn't buy houses that had um, curry in them because they were, you know, the, the smell was in the carpet and the furniture, the walls and everything. Okay. You know, so different smells, you would have to replace all that, the underlay and so forth and paint the walls and so is this stuff basically clean it out. Same doing? with cat hair or animal. Sorry. Was this stuff that you were doing then as you're selling houses, you're also kind of. Yeah. You're kind of like doctoring them up and whatnot? Yeah, and, and finding out where they want to live and which areas, you know, because people, you know, are, they have desire, certain expectations as well, you right. know, on what they want in a house and, you know, whether the uh, the house has dogs or cats in it and, you know, carpet smells and all that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so you're selling houses. This is, what, what year would this be roughly in Calgary? 90s, uh, is that? Early uh, 90s? 90s, yeah. Early nineties. Ninety one. So you're selling houses, you you got a little bit of cash rolling in and then you started partying. Yeah, two thousand I actually started partying. And what, everybody thought the world was gonna to come to an end, right? <laughs> the, the whole Y two K movement you're involved in. Exactly. That. <laughs> yeah, I, I just laughed at that whole thing. That so you so you were wearing a tinfoil hat and doing blow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, I just, I don't know. I started partying clubs and stuff like that more in Calgary and like um, not only a few gay clubs that were here back then, but, you know, just clubs in general and yeah. just meeting people all over the place. And, you know, people thought, you know, I was on, you know, something blow or whatever it is and, mm -hmm. or would even offer me and I would like, no, you know, I don't do drugs. And then one night I was out and all of a sudden, you know, it just started with the ecstasy. Okay. Yeah, I've so I've kind of heard one. I've kind of heard. Did you say gay clubs? Yeah, gay clubs. Yeah, I've I've kind of heard that uh, that back in the day, and I don't know if it still is today. That that uh, drugs have always been pretty prevalent in in the gay community. Is that is that true or? It's very true. It it's is, very eh? true. Um, if it's it's not only there too. It's even in like the straight community as well. If yeah, you want to find sure. them, you'll find them. Yeah. You know, but like when I lived in Winnipeg, you know, and I went out to, I, I came out when I was about 19. Yeah. And, you know, I was at a few parties and stuff and nobody ever offered me any of that stuff. And I didn't need, cause I was drinking. Yeah. Right. But, uh, you know, when I came out to Calgary, it was like, you know, the gay scene that back in 2000, there was, there were all, drugs was all over the place. Oh, okay. And so you it know? kind of started with like Molly doing ecstasy and stuff. Ecstasy first, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was only a weekend thing, you know. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't do drugs during the week because I was so busy working. So usually Friday or Saturday night, I do the ecstasy, ecstasy thing, party, you know, have a good time. Yeah. Go to Vancouver, big parties, <laughs> you know, do the club scene as they call it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then somebody uh, 
introduced me to cocaine and I started uh, snorting cocaine and and stuff and then it led to uh, injections wow how did cocaine how, how did you go from from that jump if how you how, uh what's the progression from like bumping a line of, I imagine like were you just like kind of in the bar and someone offered you coke so you snorted a few lines kind of thing no no we said I a party um, uh, at a nightclub in, in Calgary. Okay. But like before the nightclub, I should say, it was at his place. Oh, okay. Before we went out. Gotcha. And then we went out. Yeah. So then how do you progress so had from a, that to using intravenously? Well, it was, a, it was a, to be honest, it was a big lift to do it intravenously because uh, you actually get the hit within a couple of seconds right. like or less. And uh, for uh, people that do it intravenously, it, it does uh, hit you sexually so fast. Oh, I see. For me, it did. Yeah. And it's something I want you know people to know about because after a while, it won't hit you that way, and then you just end up you know wanting to get that feeling back. And you'll never get that feeling back because you end up doing too much all the time. And oh, it's, yeah, you you keep looking for that or searching for that same hit, and you'll never get it. Right. Right. So were you were you but, scared? Were you scared the first time? It just seems like uh, quite I extreme. was. Yeah, it seems pretty yeah. extreme to to go from you know doing some coke with some with some partners to then uh, to then like putting a needle in your arm it, to me that seems like a big progression but maybe it's not yeah i told i told them i told them i said don't leave i said if you're doing this i said don't leave and i didn't do it i i let him do it oh i see you let right? him shoot you up yeah 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 i did oh. so um yeah it's uh if you don't watch the amount you put in, you, you can easily die quick. Oh, I bet. Right? Yeah, but sure. cocaine is an upper where, like, uppers keep you up and awake and going, yeah. right? Yeah. Where a lot of people take downers. Intravenously, yeah. Right? And it just yeah. makes them relax, right? Yeah. So if you take too much uppers, you can go a little bit crazy as well as if you take too much downers, right? But if right. you take too much uppers, it makes you go crazier than downers because you're up and moving and going things just go so fast right for for me anyways like each individual is individual is different right yeah because their brain thoughts are different right right so 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 what happened there was that just kind of a one-time thing or did or did you start using quite heavy after that uh well no it wasn't a one-time thing after that it just that it it evolved. It turned into not only just weekends, but then it went to Thursday nights and Friday nights and Saturday nights. And, you know, after a few years, it was pretty much every day. Yeah. And I went from, you know, selling real estate to having, you know, my townhome and my Mercedes and stuff to basically losing everything. I had to sell everything. I claimed bankruptcy and I ended up on the street. Oh man! Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't go home. I didn't call my family and stuff for money and stuff. I just basically lived on the street. I started going to treatment centers. I went to a place called Renfrew a few times to to dry out. Yeah. Right. Renfrew is a place that uh, helps a lot of people that are 
you know, have drug problems, and yeah. they they feed them and keep them out, uh, keep them in a, in a building in a group, and they have their own rooms and stuff or beds to sleep on. So how long? How long was and that? And talk to counselors. Yeah. Okay? How how long was that progression, Joe? Like from, um, how much time? How much time took place between, you know, when you just started using intravenously, kind of as a, as a sexual stimulant to, uh, like losing everything. What was like? How much time was in between? For me, it took four years. Four years, eh? Okay. Four years. Yeah. And did you do you lose everything because you just start? You stop working and you're just doing so much drugs, or you start spending all your money on drugs, or how does how does that? Happen? I just started spending everything on drugs, right? And it just went from like, uh, uh, yeah, from coke to like, well, ecstasy to coke, and then I tried crack, and um, you know, meeting different people and partying with them. I remember I had my, I had a 1990, what was it, two Accord. EXR and I sold it like $300. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And like the drugs make you go crazy and, and think of things. And I don't know. I pretty much, I'm, I don't know. I'm lucky or resilient. I don't know what you want to call it, but uh, <laughs> I seem to always bounce back Yeah. and find a job after I, you know, cleaned up for a few months or whatever, Yeah. you know, went to work, you know, and, and spent my money again and again and in treatment centers and back and forth. And out. I learned how to work the streets and work these treatment centers and went to NA and AA and even did CA, which are uh, AA is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and oh. NA is Narcotics Anonymous and yeah. CA is Cocaine Anonymous. Huh. So I've never you heard know, of CA I, before. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been around for years. Oh, okay. If you want to look that up, um, you might find Cocaine Anonymous, even Meth Anonymous now. Oh, wow, drug-specific. Uh, in certain cities, you know, even sex addicts have sex addictions or right. eating disorders or stuff like that. You want to Google any of those. Um, they were In any city or a city near you or even a town, they might have those groups to help people right. out. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's how I found these places out, you know, and, and just, um, knowing or being told on, on these certain places from, um, people that help you at these addiction centers. Yeah. Was there any moment on where to go? Was there any moment, um, that stands out in your mind where you were like, holy shit, I've lost everything. Like this is the moment I'm going to try to, you know, find, find some help or, or did like, how did that, how did that occur? Oh man, it actually occurred. Actually, the first time it occurred is when I lost everything uh, back in 2004, the first time, you know, and ended up in a treatment center. I thought I was going to a place that uh, actually uh, put straps on your body, you know, like to where you couldn't. Where you couldn't, uh, you know, where you were psychotic or crazy, oh, going like to a, a crazy house. And, oh, like a. Uh like a like a mental hospital or something yeah like a mental institution or stuff like yeah. that where you know and it uh, that's what i thought i was going to when my friends were taking me there you know oh, and I see. Uh, it was just an addiction place because i was still under the influence my mind wasn't quite set yet oh gotcha and i was like you know sketchy it's what they call it or paranoid, paranoid. yeah yeah so, so you actually had some friends that uh that helped you out yeah yeah exactly you know and uh 
I ended up selling my townhome and paying out, uh, selling my Mercedes and paying out everything I had. And what I had left was 30,000 or so, 35,000. I just filed bankruptcy. Then, you know, that was back in 2000 and, uh, I think seven, I filed bankruptcy. Right. So it took, it took, uh, you know, a long time to, uh, to clean up because it, uh, you either got to want it or you don't want it. And, uh, you know, I thought I could never get back what I had. So, you know, I just basically, you know, lived to work Mm -hmm. and whatever I wanted to do with that money, I just, you know, do with it. Cause I, being gay, I didn't, I don't have family or, you know, kids or anything like that right, or a spouse or a partner to take care of. It was just me, right? right? And I don't smoke, and I basically didn't drink that much at all. You know, my, um, my all my money went on went towards drugs. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, and I lost my vehicles, and I kept on buying another vehicle, or like a, I'd buy a cheaper vehicle, like a truck or something, for a couple thousand dollars, you know? Wow. I didn't drive for a few years. I had to renew my license and, you know, uh, my insurance on my truck, you know, I'd, I'd lose because I couldn't afford to pay it because, you know, even food. And that's why I jumped into like addiction centers or the Salvation Army Yeah. to have places to stay where I didn't have to pay for rent. Then if I did, Alberta Works would help me. Okay. Right. So you were quite so, resourceful uh, then. You were, you were able to actually find a lot of the... Um, programs that are currently up and running in your community when you needed them, it sounds like. Yeah, when I needed them, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great Definitely, that they're there. they're there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I wouldn't give up on myself. Like, I dropped down to 130 pounds at one time. Oh, wow. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm 5'11 and a half, or, you know, and I'm right now 185, 190, right? Yeah. But to drop down to 130 pounds. And yeah, that's <laughs> it's just, yeah. That's not healthy. No, a very unhealthy, right? Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to live unhealthy, right? But I still wanted to to live. I mm-hmm. didn't want to die. Wow. So, yeah, there's, uh, you know, so my ups and downs even continued for years after that, you know. But I'd go to like, uh, like a place called Grand Central Station, you know, or a few other job replacement agencies that send you out on a job for the day and they pay you cash. You know, I'd stay at Salvation Army. I wouldn't have to pay my rent for like three months because they offered that back then. Okay. Uh, you know, and they also also gave you like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Right. You know, but uh, after a time, I did go to the Salvation Army for treatment there and I had to pay my rent there and I lived there paying like, I think it was 400 or some odd dollars a month. Yeah. You know, stayed there for a few years on and off. Wow. You know, to help me out. So I stayed at a place called the Dream Center that helps men out, you know, and uh, Simon House and a few other places in Drumheller. I stayed in a place in Drumheller, you know, and uh, Sunrise here. So most of those places I've stayed like one to three times in. Oh, wow. Over a 10-year span. So you're probably the best guy to be referring other people around town then because <laughs> you've you've kind of had experience with them all. Right. Yeah. So learning what I learned on the streets and how to get around things, not to get around things, but how people are there to help you, Yeah. Uh, you know, just to, you got to want to do it, you know? Yeah. So you can't, can't give up on yourself, 
and because people are there to help you. So, you know, use the help there. And from my experience, like having my own place now for a couple of years, this is the longest place I've been in uh, since I lost my um, townhome and gave up my uh, real estate license way back in 2004. Oh, wow. Good so for you, man. 14, yeah, 14 years, uh, I've been in this place for two years. Uh, but prior to that, for 12 years, I haven't been in any place longer than a year for the last 12 years. And sometimes I've been places three or four times, like two or three different addiction centers and going in and out of uh, them and the Salvation Army and the Dream Center and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And plus staying at Alpha House, you know, living on a mat. You know, uh, sleeping there all night and then going and walking the streets all day, you know? Yeah. Wow. And then coming back there at nighttime again, like for for months. Jeez. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And they wouldn't let you back in there unless you were high or stone because, you know, uh, people. That's what it's for. Yeah, that's what it's for for people that are drunk or, or under the influence first. Yeah. Yeah, it's not <laughs> right? just a homeless shelter. They actually want to make it sort of a sort of a facility to help people stabilize. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, 50 turnaround came like five years ago and, uh, I was in a relationship and stuff and I think I started crystal meth. I was like 48. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so what made you want to do that? Something new. Again, uh, just a different kind of drug, right? Once yeah. you're an addict, you just try different kinds of drugs, right, to see what they do, right? So were you so, were you already intravenously using cocaine at the time that you then tried methamphetamine? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or crystal meth, actually. Oh, crystal. Yeah. You just smoked it. Yeah, smoked it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then slammed that. It's a terminology that that uh, men and women use. Yeah. But uh, junkies, <laughs> I don't know, that's a hard topic, like talking about junkies, because, you know, um, there are lots of people that inject yeah. uh, that a lot of people don't know about, you know, and they come from, you know, uh, middle class families, poor families, rich rich families, you yeah. know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, they need help eventually because you can't hide that very long, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and it eventually comes out. You know, you end up ruining your life or or getting so mad and angry with other people all the time. You're not the same person, and people realize that. You realize that eventually, Yeah. you know, and you know it, but you don't want to say it. You know what I mean? Like you kind of and people just Yeah, people just need to be honest with themselves, basically, so in general. Th- so you think there's a lot in, in the in the intravenous community, you think there's a lot that kind of happens behind closed doors, like in privacy? Is that oh, for sure. Like Most they're definitely. trying to hide it from people they know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, we've, we yeah. had some, we have, we've had quite a few overdoses this month here in our community. And, uh, and it seems like there's a, there's a rising, well, I don't know if I, if I would even call it a trend, but, or maybe we're just noticing it for the first time, but a lot of the, a lot of the people that are overdosing, uh, lately have been um, like working like middle class, upper middle class working men in the trades, uh, you know, mid twenties working, you know, long hours uh, appear on the outside to have their life together. And then all of a sudden 
they're overdosing it turns out oh they were uh either like snorting you know fentanyl pills or else uh or else even using intravenously and the families yeah. are shocked like completely shocked and, and so we're having like it seems like young men dying alone because they are using in in privacy and and i guess that's probably because of the shame and stigma associated with with uh, drug use not only that, a lot of a lot of men and women, you know, have problems with their orientation, right? There's a lot of bisexual and gay men and women out there that struggle with their orientation. Yeah, let's talk about that and for a minute. Uh, I, 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 like myself included in my early days, you know, yeah. I struggled with it. So do you, you think know, that played I was, a role? Sorry. Do you, do you think uh, do you think people struggling with their sexuality? Um, can play a role in in uh, drug addiction. Oh, big time! Really? Yeah, yeah, because they, uh, you know, it enhances your libido. First of all, it doesn't matter what kind of drug you use. Yeah. Right, and even alcohol. Right, it yeah. enhances. You lose your inhibitions. Right. 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 So you're more op- open to talk to individuals about you know what you what you like about them and so forth or you know what I mean? Or what if turns you on and stuff like that. You kind of get yeah. that liquid courage or <laughs> drug-induced courage. That's it. To share your feelings yeah. and, and sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. You know, yeah, and a lot of people with the internet these days, they go on sites and they can type in any anything for, you know, being gay, and it'll pop up on the internet, right? Yeah. And people learn about stuff like that so fast these days. It's it's crazy. And for kids, you know, that's why parents need to keep kids off the internet when they're typing certain words because you never know what a, their child is up to. And yeah. if you want to learn what they're up to, that's the best way to do it, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm a big advocate for uh, for not allowing computers in in uh, bedrooms and stuff like that just because the access to the internet is... I mean, you, the kid, your children literally have access to everything, anything and everything. everything, and it's and it's not a safe place. And quite frankly, I don't know how many parents have probably sat down and talked to their children about how to safely browse the internet. <laughs> like it's not yeah. really something that's it's it's almost still too new. But go, going back to uh, going back to sexuality and drug use, um, do you think? Do you think times are changing the more accepting um, our society is to, you know, different, you know, people's different, uh, you know, gender identities and different sexual orientations? As we progress, do you, as a community and reduce that stigma and shame, do you think that will then also reduce the risks associated to those people using drugs? Well, or? yeah. Well, it's not only drugs. They don't have to use drugs to be gay and stuff like that. It's oh, just of course. people. Yeah. yeah, people. People in general think that being gay is just because you're a gay man or a gay woman that you will sleep with or have sex with any kind of man or any kind of woman, right? Or try and hit on them and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's not like that, you know. Yeah. I, I have preferences. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a type. Right. You know what I mean. Yeah, of course. And it's you know if that person doesn't meet my spec uh, spe- specifications, you know what I mean? Like I, I want a person to have that person to have a job, you know, his own vehicle, his own life, yeah. and be truthful and one hundred percent, you know. So does that and, confidence uh, as as a young gay man does that confidence come later in life? Like how does that? It depends on the individual himself or herself. You know okay. what I mean? 
because um, a, a lot of people have different partners growing up and then, you know, uh, there's a lot of them that just stick with one, yeah. you know? Well, that's, and, a, that's uh, the way it works in any, in any, uh, <laughs> with any sexual orientation, I suppose, but. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a sister that was 14 years old and she's 54 today and she's still with her husband. They got married at 18. She's oh, got well. two kids and she's a grandmother of four. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's, a, yeah. The, the world's made up of all kinds. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. Do you, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, it's funny. I was actually just talking to my son. Uh, he was just, he went to his first high school party the other, the other night and, um, and he just got talking about one of his his male friends there, and it just came out in conversation that he's gay. And I was like, "Oh yeah. wow!" And I said, "Is that?" Uh, I said, "What what's that like? Or do kids tease him? Or is there you know are kids pretty accepting? Teenagers pretty accepting?" And he's just like, "Oh no!" He's like, "If anybody even dared made made a, a you know a joke at at his sexuality, he said the rest of the the teenagers there would just jump all over them." So I'm like, "Well, that's really nice to see because I know." even when I was in high school, which, I mean, I'm a young dad to Tyson, so, I mean, you know, I was in high school not that long ago in, in, the grand, <laughs> in the grand picture of things, and uh, it was a lot different. Like, I don't know if we had any, there's definitely would have been gay kids there, but I don't know if, how many were actually confident enough to come out because the culture really, I don't think, was as was accepting as it is now. No, it's more accepting now, but still kids, are, girls and guys have a lot of problems with it um, because growing up as a teenager, you're basically um, a walking um, well, a hormone at, mm-hmm. the, at teenage years, right? Like right. girls and guys get excited earlier than you think they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? And guys, you know, get hard on quick, yeah. right? And a lot of, a lot of parents... I know that these days because they experience, they, they went through it themselves and they're talking about it more. Right. right? And how to control that. Right. right? And uh, when it comes to being sexual, it's like, it's so hard because we're being human. We want that physical touch. We want that, you know, that caressing and, and, you know, to be, um, um, admired or, or, you know, just somebody, you know, wants to be with you right. at so if you, such so if, an early age, so if right? You're, if you're restricted as to how you can express yourself, then that could probably cause some, some, some issues for an individual. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, especially for being gay, you know, a, woman, a gay girl or a gay boy growing up as a teenager, you know, because it's like, you know, it's okay for uh, for a long time for like a, a, man, a, a young man and a young woman to engage in consensual sex, right? Yeah. But it's hard to discuss when two guys want to talk about it or even yeah. two girls that want to talk about it in high school, yeah, you know, we still have a long, or even we still have a long yeah, way to go for sure. It's got a long way to go. Right. But these counselors need to open these students up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of LGBTQ uh, programs in schools now or in universities and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they could talk about that see. stuff. Right. Yeah. But for me, you know, to have that affection and stuff and to even kiss a man in public, like I still come from old school, (laughs) you know, and I, it's just, you know, I don't want to be watched or looked at by people that want to, you know, discriminate against that. Right. And I, and I don't for some reason. And, and it's probably because I, 
I was tough, abused man. as a child, and it confused me growing up because I did date girls until I was nineteen. You know. Oh, wow. Did you? Sorry. Did you just say you were abused as a child? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, I sorry. never told that before. Yeah. Sexually. Yeah. So. Um, sorry, man. That's... You know, and I only made love to one woman. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, before I came out, like, and I had a few different girlfriends, but I think I was 18 when I made love to a girlfriend of mine. Her name was Leah. We dated for a couple of years. Okay. So were you, Yeah. Did, did at what age did you, or did you, all, did you always know your sexual orientation? Uh, I think because of the abuse, it really confused me. Okay. Uh, because, you know, it was like, I, it wasn't, uh, normal. It was like, you know, you tell anybody like, you know, I'll beat the shit out of you basically yeah. kind of thing, you know, covered my mouth. You know, I was sleeping at the time, you know, and it always happened when I was sleeping Yeah. and I was a scared little kid, you know, I was like skinny and scrawny and, you know, I was like 10 years old and stuff. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know eight nine or 10, something like that, you know, and it went on right through, um, till I was like 17, 18. Oh man. Was that by a family member? Or... You don't have to, uh, yeah, you don't have to discuss I, I won't discuss that, yeah, you no, know, no, but no, it was, no. yeah, it's just, it just continued. And I, I didn't know how to get help for that way back then. And that was like back in like 1973 when that all started for me, Wow. you know? So, um, yeah, and you know, most of my life, I, I I stayed single, you know, or I just dated whoever I wanted for short periods. And my longest relationship was um, for uh, oh my goodness, seven years, six, seven years. Oh wow! With a guy, yeah, and that was from '91 to '97 when I sold real estate. So having trust issues and yeah. with other people, you know, and Man, going to, yeah that kind of abuse that takes oh man like that that really plays a toll and uh it does really long long lasting damage to an indi to an individuals and a and a child's um, yeah so if men and women are abused when or boys and girls when they're young and try and help them or get them to talk about it yeah uh, because it'll help them earlier than later yeah you know because they hold all that in and i had a lot of anger issues and and stuff like that. And I wouldn't get violent or anything, but I just pushed everybody away. Like, yeah. and wouldn't open up about anything, you know? Joe, there's, uh, on this, on my podcast here, I, I, I talk to people with lived experience, um, quite, quite often. Um, you know, we, we talk to researchers, yeah. we talk to professionals, you know, frontline workers, and then we talk to a lot of people that have the experience like you have. And the amount of times, um, abuse especially in childhood has been disclosed on my podcast now is is getting a little bit uh there's obviously a pattern <laughs> and i mean I, I it's it's one of those things that i knew because i i did the research and in the and in the community presentations i i give i talk about um i talk about the the impact of of uh, child abuse and specifically sexual abuse and intravenous drug use and uh, mm -hmm. a few years ago, I'm not sure if I've told this story on the podcast. Hopefully, I'm not boring the listeners if I if I have told this before. But a few years ago, when I was patrolling um, in our core neighborhood here in Saskatoon, I 
and I was doing drug presentations and I'd started say no, um, on the side. And, and I, I started uh, in my research, I started finding statistics that say things like, you know, three out of three out or over three out of every five intravenous drug users was abused as a child. And there were some that would even say upwards of four out of five. And I would see these statistics and I'm thinking like, that makes sense, but it still seems high. And so then I just decided to do my own little research for my patrol car. And I just kept a little piece of piece of paper in my visor. And for just about a month, um, every time I would inter- interact with somebody that I knew that would use drugs intravenously, um, and I mean, I'm not, not to arrest them necessarily. I mean, sometimes it was, but a lot of times they're the victims or they're witnesses to things or just in the neighborhood. I, I happened to police. There was quite a few IV drug users. And so I'd strike up a conversation with them and build some rapport. And I'd just ask like, do you mind, um, you know, just letting me know, like, you know, how did, how did you get into, into IV drug use? And, and the amount of times that I actually heard the word molested in that month was, uh, mm-hmm. was really shocking, man. Because yeah. that word isn't even something that, as law enforcement, we use anymore. Like it's mm-hmm. like the word "molested" is is like we use things like sexual assault or sexual abuse yeah. or you know these kind of terms. But like that word "molested" is very it's a real hard word, and these people were using it because it had a dramatic impact. Yeah. In their, in their well, life. I know that that people you know when they injecting and stuff and or they're using it for sex which is mostly the case that um, they do get um, abused and beaten. And some, some people will continue to uh, inject these people with drugs just to keep them, I don't know, kind of like comatose. Yeah. You know, it's like a rape, well, it's a right? Pain killer, man. It's a painkiller. Yeah, it is. It's a, it is. And you know, it that does, doesn't only happen with injections. Like I was in a bar in in calgary on fourth street uh back in 2000 and somebody had slipped something into my drink and i woke up in a bed in that area uh the next morning with a guy laying beside me oh jeez! and i don't even remember you know i just got up and left oh my right gosh. and it also happened to me in a gay club in calgary in that same year you know, somebody had put something in my drink. This time, a friend of mine took me home because I asked him to because I felt really something, you um, tell something was off. weird and exactly and something yeah. was off, you know, and I was in my 30s when that happened both right. times, you know, but the first time was at a pub on 4th Street in Calgary. I, uh, I went to the bathroom, I came out, I took a drink and I, I don't even remember leaving. I, I remember almost falling over and that was it. Wow. Uh, it, it was over and I didn't wake up till the next morning. And this was on a Saturday uh, evening at about, I think seven o'clock we walked into the bar Jeez. and I don't remember leaving. And I, I remember going in the washroom. I think it wasn't even seven thirty, And I think I left that bar Wow. and I didn't wake up till almost eight thirty the next morning. It was a 12 hour blackout from whoever put something in my drink. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's dangerous. I I often talk to university classes, and I'm always telling the people in the in the room. And it's funny because the um, men often kind of ignore. It and I'm like, whoa, whoa, hang on. This goes to you too. Like at the front desk on Monday mornings of every police service across the country, we have men and women coming in to the front desk saying, "Something happened to me this weekend. My body feels violated. I have no memory." And unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately. There's not a lot of prosecutions that occur because it's 
it's hard to prove. It's hard to find out what happened. And plus you feel embarrassed, right? Because you're not only, you've been drinking, but you're also a drug addict or you use drugs. So you're thinking it's like your fault, right? Yeah, you take that on yourself. Right, or just being, you know, gay, you know, and, um, you know, they think it's like, well, you know, you're gay, who cares, basically, right? You do drugs, whatever, it's just like being straight. You do drugs, they don't really care. Right. Right? So it's your fault, right? Yeah, we got a long way so, to come. So which it is, yeah, we got a long way to come, which it's not our fault, but it is our fault for using drugs. Like, I don't blame anybody for, for my life whatsoever. My life is my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And what I did to it, right? But being honest and coming truthful and continuing to abuse yourself, mm-hmm. right? So do you see, dr- you, you, in your opinion, you, do you feel that a lot of a lot of drugs people are taking to abuse themselves? Right. They can't forgive others. Right. Or they yeah. blame it on themselves. Right. And they continue to use. But if they realize, you know, not to keep blaming the others, you know what I mean? And stop using, you know, and get help. Yeah. Right. And really want to quit. They can quit. You know, and a lot of people don't know how to live. Like they don't they get an apartment. You know, they, they got electrical bills. They got cable bills. They got cell phone bills. They got grocery bills. If they buy a vehicle, they got insurance for their vehicle they got their driver's license gas you know what i mean oil repairs like you got to account for this money right how how are you going to make this money to pay all this stuff you know what i mean right and people need i think it needs to get in the education system on how uh to improve lives with kids coming out of high school if they want to live on their own and what it takes just improving your life in general like how to deal with pressures you know, yeah, what's pressures re- what's and, and bills and everything. Yeah, exactly. So you, so you don't get ahead of yourself, and and that adds mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Well, yeah, because a lot of people are depending on their parents these days. You know what I mean? And staying home, a lot of kids, right? Longer. Longer, yeah. Right. Until they're more established. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Joe. But more people. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was I was just gonna say, uh, and if you got if you got more to say, by all means, man. Um, I was gonna ask you before before we conclude here. Um, I know you are part of a comedy uh, troupe, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to talk about that briefly, uh, if you could tell our yeah, listeners. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. So can you mm-hmm. tell you can you tell our listeners a bit about this, the comedy uh, group that you're part of? I think it's really cool. <laughs> uh, the comedy group that we do is, uh, oh my goodness, it came from aware, and. Uh, I can't even remember the name of it right now. Can you <laughs> tell? I, I, my mind just went blank. Oh, boy. Honestly. It just went blank. Should we just drop that topic for now? No, no. Let's uh, hang on. I've got... Uh, I like keeping my podcast is completely unedited. So I've got... I think I've got the picture <laughs> on my phone. I'm just going to look for it uh, here. That you sent I, I wanted the other people to talk about that. That oh, yeah. formed it. For sure. Just, and uh, I want them to be on your podcast yep. because it okay. would be better for them to talk about that. But it's a comedy group that they um, help men and women. Shatter the Stigma. Shatter the Stigma, yeah. Uh, it's called Shatter the Stigma. And the uh, uh, it helps men and women that use to get uh, comedy back in their life and to feel laughter. And they set up a uh, program with us for the weekend and they brought in a couple uh, comedians to teach us uh, comedy and how to um, to talk about it and and 
be on stage and, you know, um, to have a beginning, a middle and an end, yeah. you know, and, and the punchlines and everything and to be confident, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not a funny guy whatsoever. I don't think I am. I'm, I'm too much of a worker and kind of like not a serious guy, really, you know, I can laugh and stuff like that, but yeah, yeah. my sisters are the jokesters, right? <laughs> right? But it really brought, it really brought me out of my shell, you know what That's I mean? Awesome. And, and just to, just to talk about something like, you know, get up on stage and say, you know, now that, you know, marijuana is approved, you know, in Canada and stuff like that, you, you know, your parents don't have to hide it and talk about it anymore. Hey, honey, what's in the pot over there? Oh, no, we got the pot. It's on the counter. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Our son, did you uh, cut the grass today? No, I cut it the other day, Dad. There's some in your room in your closet or in your drawer. <laughs> like, how do you want to determine who cuts grass now and, and for what for? Or even pulling the weeds, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hey, who pulled some... the weeds the other day? Right? You got some good material so, there, man. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, I uh, shared that uh, last week here in Calgary on Friday night. Do you guys have, do you know if there's, is there any upcoming shows for Shadow of the Stigma? Uh, that was our first, uh, well, not our first one, but that was uh, a big one that we just had in Kensington on the uh, uh, last Friday. Right on. Yeah. So there was around 150 to 200 people there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Big show. And it was raising money for for aware and to help us give back to uh to people not only living on the street and yeah. walking the street you know but just pe- homeless people in general as well too that's, you know whether they use or not right yeah what a great program man that's really cool. yeah thank you i think uh i think i mean laughter i mean we all know that laughter is uh is one of those things that can get lost and uh happiness in general can get lost when people are struggling day to day and to be able to find a, a, a cool and unique, interesting way to, you know, to bring some of that happiness back in people's lives and crack some jokes. And even if it is at your yeah. own expense every once in a while, I think is, is a healthy thing as well. Yeah. And I, you know, living the truth now, like I'm not hiding, Yeah. you know, or telling lies, like yeah. it, it's so much better and trusting other people. Like I, I learned to put people that I don't trust out of my life. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I need people to be honest with me, you know, and, and tell me the truth. I, I don't like liars around me anymore because, you know, I did a lot of lying and cheating and stuff like that when I used drugs. Yeah. You know, kind of done just with that. to, uh, yeah, yeah and, and stole stuff and, you know, from department stores or whatever and stuff, you know, years ago. Yeah. You know, I even got caught one time, you know, and they kicked me out of wall, uh, woke, uh, Walmart. Oh, is that right? right? For a couple of years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think I you know, but I I've bet, been reinstated. Yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> being friends, <laughs> being friends with uh, with comedians, I bet they can be brutally honest at times. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that's good. yeah. Well, Joel, thank. So, I think uh, I think there's definitely going to be a podcast in the future. Where we have some of uh, some of your uh, comedy friends on the show, and maybe with you as well. And and uh, I think we're planning that out, so our listeners can look forward to that episode uh, in the future. Is there um, is there anything else you wanted to share uh, for resource wise um, that's available in your community or that you know elsewhere things that things that might have helped you or places where people can go to get some support if they need it? Oh, just go to uh, an addiction center or a rehabilitation centers is what you want to call them, you okay. know, or um, check out these groups N A C A A A which are Alcoholics Anonymous, yeah. Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous. There's even Meth Anonymous. Yeah. 
you know, for people using crystal meth these days, watch your street drugs, you know, because even people that are buying from the streets, you know, are getting bad stuff. Yeah. And watch if you're injecting and stuff, you know, get some help, you know, because you can't do that forever because you won't be happy right. once you start hearing things and seeing things and hallucinating on one little hit, whether you're injecting or not. Uh, it's time to quit. And you know that. Right. So please do it. Right on. Well, that's that's a great that's a great note to uh, to end on. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, Joe. Really appreciate your time and and for being being brave and courageous and telling telling your story with our listeners. Well, I appreciate it and thank you for listening to my story and thank you for having me on and um, God bless because he does help. Believe me. <laughs> okay, take care, Joe. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the SayNoKNOW.org podcast got some exciting new things going on on our website we have launched a t-shirt campaign to help spread awareness uh, all of our t-shirts have motivational quotes on them t-shirts that say things like advocate or die or my favorite which is our harm reduction shirt which you can show your friends and family how you support the harm reduction movement in your community and at the same time help support our podcast and our education initiatives so head over to our website say Head over to our Facebook page, Twitter, like us, share, and as always, please subscribe. Oh, you got you to gotta tell me how you lost your toes, man. Um, well, I, I lost them. Um, I did too much uh, crystal meth in uh, Edmonton uh, almost five years ago. This uh, It'll be five years this February or next yeah, February 2019. Um, we were partying and uh, stuff and I was smoking it and injecting it and uh, I ended up uh, doing way too much I came back with my buddy and his girlfriend Yeah. dropped them off in downtown Calgary it was like plus five that day Sunday night or Sunday yeah, evening and by uh, I, after I dropped them off I couldn't drive anymore I got all schizophrenic and paranoid and I ended up uh, just driving into a parking lot across the street and I couldn't even get out of my truck because um, somebody was coming to kill me or the cops were coming or whatever. And I got all shaky and scared and yeah. I just stayed in my truck for almost a full day till the next night. And it went from plus five or something to minus 25 and I froze my toes. Oh man. And I lost all eight of them. And uh, yeah, I was in the hospital. Did you just say you lost all eight of your toes? Eight, and I, two of them weren't frozen, and I just told them to take them. So oh, I had to man. learn how to walk and stand up and do all this kind of stuff over the last four or five years. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, uh, so when you saw me, I had braces on my legs. Oh, you did, eh? I didn't even notice. No, no. I can walk pretty much okay. Wow. Um, yeah, it's just when I'm... Yeah, I haven't even really worked out in four or five years because I've been ashamed to even wear shorts and go to the gym and stuff. Oh man, that's a that's a yeah, that's so, a sad, but uh, that's a really sad story. But it's also there's a lot of teaching points in that story because not only a lot of times we think of like when we, when we think about like the the side effects of drug use, we think about you know the risk associated to using the drug itself, but we rarely yeah. talk about the behavior that's actually occurring during drug use and the irrational decisions that you make. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot it to unpack a, there. 
It is because go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, and now and now that you know you unfortunately lost your toes, now you're having to deal with yet another sort of stigma that is associated to you know losing limbs, like losing yeah, because not limbs, when you but, when you injecting this stuff, like it thins out your blood real quick, right? So you 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 know you freeze quicker, you get your body gets colder quicker, right? When you yeah. inject, and I should have mentioned that, which I didn't. That's okay, right? I you know what I. I hit I hit record here just again, so maybe we'll throw this in. maybe we'll throw this in the blooper reel or something. I don't mean to laugh about it, but you know a lot of people don't realize that, especially when you're injecting that your blood really thins out, right? Yeah. And same with your drinking, right? If you drink too much, you because you're not intravenously putting it in your system, but you know it just your body gets colder. Yeah. Right. Have, Joe, have, have you worked? Influence. Have you worked? And and I don't. Uh, Please don't take this the wrong way, uh, because I I don't I don't want to like put you on the spot or or, in the la- or la- laugh no laugh at your expense, but um, <laughs> yeah. at all that's not my intention. But have you incorporated the loss of your toes into your comedy act? Uh not yet. Not no, yet? I haven't thrown okay. that in there yet. No, no, it- no, no. I'm trying to find a way to do that. Yeah. You know, um, because I've that's done a fascinating. Fascinating, Sorry? unique story, man. And uh, <laughs> I think there's a there's a lot you could do with it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I I'm I I can laugh at it now, you know, and I can laugh at everything that I've done. Yeah. Right at myself. Right. Right. But it's hard to when people are still going through it to make it a joke for them. Yeah. For right? sure. Right. But for they sure. got to see it as me. Right. Yeah. So, but I can, Yeah. Eventually, I probably will and can make a few jokes out of it you know <laughs> yeah between between your cannabis uh the legalization of cannabis routine and and the loss of toes i think you got a career in comedy man <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i appreciate that i like the new one i came up with and you know and it's just it's really funny because kids are so into you know facebook and uh the internet and stuff like that you know and now we have you know like instagram right and it's yeah. like oh wait a minute hang on a second somebody's just Sending me an Instagram? Oh no, they're just reminding me I need to take a gram right now. Hang on. Oh, that coke feels better. Okay, go. What? <laughs> <laughs> just a joke. Yeah, I, I wasn't exactly. doing coke, but you know what I mean. Instagram. Yeah, bit of a bit of right. a pun. Bit of a pun. Bit uh, of a pun for my coke gram. Yeah. That's almost that. Pot gram. I would I would put that down the avenue as like a drug a drug fueled dad joke. <laughs> 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 like it was it's good and uh and it's and it's funny because it's kind of like that dad dad joke kind of lame side but then usually dads aren't joking around about drug use so it kind of gives it that extra bit of bit of uniqueness um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it does you know but uh it's just yeah when you can laugh about yourself and everything that you did and and you know get humor out of it it's it's a good thing yeah I think you know so, what i mean hey? we've, we've and uh yeah, I'm not Dr. Ruth or anything, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, Dr. Dr. Joe. <laughs> Dr. Joe, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, there's some really good uh, people that never had comedy life or did a, uh, comedy before and that are, were up on stage and, you know, did fabulous, you know what I mean? Yeah. And just had me, like, in stitches. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know? So, you know, and, and I had stitches when they took my toes off, you know, but then I ended up getting gangrene in my left foot. So, you know, 
they had to uh, keep the stitches out. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, man. But it's a good thing because it made the bottom of my feet come out more. So they weren't flush anymore. So I had more of a ball of a foot. You know what I mean? So, okay. you know, not the same size as my balls, but pretty close. (laughs) It will take, uh, yeah, I guess there's, you can look at the, you can look at the right side of everything, I suppose. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right, man. Well, you take care, Joe. You too, buddy. Okay. And uh, yeah, anytime, just give me a shout. Sounds good. Or a text. Dude. Talk to you Looking later. Looking forward to talking to you again. Yeah, All right. sounds good. Bye. Bye.